an insider's take now on how Mr. Trump actually won. And the president has the most powerful platform for propaganda. Facebook has come under fire for its role in last year's election. Is this really about marketing? Is that what political campaigns are about these days? Hi, everyone. Welcome to For What It's Worth. I'm Tara McGowan. For today's episode, we traveled outside the Beltway to learn more about how the election is playing online, in this case among young voters in Virginia. We spent some time at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, ahead of their mock convention last weekend, to talk to three pretty politically engaged students about how they're experiencing news in the election in their news feeds, on their mobile devices, and in their friend circles. Young people turned out in record numbers in the 2018 midterms and will be a hugely important block of the Democratic coalition. And campaigns should ignore them at their peril. So today I am joined by Caitlin, Io, and John. Thank you guys so much for coming on the pod. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be here. We're so excited. So why don't we just start with a few intros? Can each of you just give your name, what year you are in school here, what you're studying, and your hometown? My name is Caitlin Reardon. I am a senior at Washington Lee studying business and politics, and I'm from Newton, Massachusetts. I'm Io. I'm a junior from Fort Myers, Florida, and I'm studying strategic communication and minoring in education. And I'm John Harashinsky from Barnett Township, New Jersey. I'm studying American politics and education policy. Well, it's wonderful to meet you guys and to be here uh, at Washington and Lee. I would love to hear from you guys about how you are experiencing this election, which obviously we are in still a very competitive, um, wild primary on the Democratic side of the aisle. And uh, the current president, Trump, has been in office um, and has been running a really aggressive general election campaign. So how are you guys experiencing it? speak to that from both the personal perspective and from the mock convention perspective. You know, a big part of the Washington Lee mock convention is predicting who the party out of power will nominate to run for president of the United States. And this Democratic primary is wild in so many ways. I mean, we have never seen something like this uh, in American politics. So for us and being immersed in this uh, primary, you know, we are looking at every metric conceivable, and especially when it comes to uh, online marketing and ad buys. I mean, that is something that we are looking into with all that we can, especially in terms of people like Mike Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders, who are really trying to target this young demographic online. And you know, we factor this into our research um, into predicting who this nominee is going to be. So for us, you know, we try to get as much information as we can. Sometimes it's like trying to drink from a fire hose. There's too much going on at once. Uh, but for us, we definitely try to get as most as we can and then filter out the rest and pick out what's pertinent for us. Yeah. So you're actually approaching it um, similar to me, studying it mm-hmm. while also being a, a consumer of the information and a voter. Um, and it is. It, it, that is an interesting experience. And it's certainly not how most people are experiencing it because they are you know, they're just taking in the information. So I'm curious, though, I mean, you guys are all in Virginia here at school. One of you is even from Florida. So I'm very, very curious about if your uh, device ID is uh, located in Florida on your phone. (laughs) Um, But I'm I'm really curious, are you guys getting hit with any political ads on your news feeds? And, And actually stepping back when you answer that question, let me know, what are the platforms that you spend time on? Mainly Instagram for me. I'm not a big Twitter person. I think I'm in the minority in our generation for that. Um, I don't know why. It just it's like one of those things that I had in middle school and then didn't like go back to in life. And I realized it's something probably that I should go back to. But right now I'm on Instagram, um, very much still on Facebook, 
again, another minority in my generation, but that's okay. So I get a ton of my, I get a ton of ads and like targeted ads from candidates on both Facebook and Instagram. And it's funny, I'm from, like I said, I'm from Massachusetts and you would think that I would be not tar- like you would think that it would be an obvious blue vote, um, but even from Republican candidates and well, so not just presidential, but um, from Republican candidates in lower or other elections, as well as national or presidential candidates all over my newsfeed all the time. Um, we were talking about a certain candidate the other week, that last week, and he popped up on my newsfeed the next day. And I was like, OK, that's creepy, first of all. Second of all, it um, happens I think to me all the time. Yeah, it is creepy. Totally. <laughs> and it is a, what we think it is. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it's, it's everywhere. And I think it's great. I think um, it brings politics into social media in a great way. But it's everywhere for me, at least. Yeah, I'd also agree with that. Um, I'm a big Twitter user. I'm on it, you know, multiple hours out of the day. Um, and for, you know, research purposes, it's really great to find some niche information on there that may not be able to find on your cable news networks or elsewhere. But I'm a big fan of Twitter. And for me all the time, I just see these Mike Bloomberg ads pop up um, on my timeline. And I'm not sure why I'm being targeted coming from New Jersey. Um, not really sure, but they're everywhere. And especially also too on YouTube, uh, both the ads before the videos plays is for me always seems to be either Bernie Sanders or Mike Bloomberg. So one flavor or another, the moderate progressive. Um, but for me, it just seems like I can't get away from it. And now that might be sampling bias as well, because we're just immersed in everything that we could possibly find. But it just follows me everywhere. And you mentioned uh, YouTube. Uh, is that is that a platform that you actually spend a good deal of time on? And what are you going to YouTube for? So I'm usually on there to de-stress after a long day. Um, you know, not going to lie, I'm a big fan of some cooking videos on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, nice little break from all the politics and uh, all the other news of the world. And so even when I want to de-stress and just tune the politics and research out, it always finds a way to creep back in. I'm also, I was going to say YouTube. I was going to mention the YouTube ads as well. And I get a lot of Bloomberg ads. Um, I think on Facebook, I use Facebook quite a bit. Um, so Caitlin, you're not alone. <laughs> um, and I get a lot of Trump ads on there. And I think that's probably because I'm from a con- very conservative part of Florida. Um, and it's, I mean, Florida's God's waiting room. So it's just a lot of old people. Um, I've never heard that. That's yeah, amazing. It's kind of terrible, isn't it? Um, but true. So that might be part of it, too, is like the people that I'm around from home and that kind of thing. So on Facebook, it's one thing. And then on YouTube, um, I'm probably the only person in my generation that's still a fan of The View. It might just be that I really love experiences. And as a strategic communication major, looking at people and the way they communicate and how they express opinions is super interesting to me. Um, And so I kind of love going on there and listening to what they're talking about. And so often before them, before those clips, I'll get ads for, you know, different political um, candidates, whether it's Bloomberg or Bernie. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen any other ones. I think those are the main two that I've seen the most. Um, And then on Twitter, I don't get a, a ton of anything, but I'm also just on Twitter for comedy. So I'll check my Twitter like once every two weeks or something like that. I'm not very active on there. It's funny. The yeah. View definitely is staying power, especially today, because there's so few opportunities to watch people from different backgrounds talk about things like politics, which is so important. Um, it's so interesting to me. Not one of you mentioned TikTok. Are any of you oh. guys on TikTok? No. I'm not. No. <laughs> really? Nope. Probably not a represent- representative <laughs> proportion of our generation then, because I know all of my friends love it, and they spend like hours just scrolling through. Um, but I'm not. And I guess you guys aren't either. No, mm-hmm. I'm not Snapchat? on Snapchat? Yes, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, so... So why of course? 
for the okay, for the old folks enough. like me <laughs> on the line. So I use Snapchat to keep in touch with people. So like my friends from home, I don't have time to text them every day and like check in on their lives. So Snapchat's just an easy, easy way to be like, oh, hey, like, what are you doing? Um, so I just use it to keep in touch with my friends who aren't with me all the time. Do you ever get any political ads on Snapchat? Yes, I do, actually. And that's funny. I don't know why I didn't think about that originally. Um, I get them all the time. And they're doing, in 2016, they started doing political shows where they have um, one reporter who goes around and like goes to the different candidates and goes to their rallies and stuff like that. And so I actually learned a ton of stuff from those programs in 2016. Is this Peter Hamby yes, show? Yes, it is. I couldn't remember his Shout name. Shout out, yes. Peter. Yes. I think he listens to this podcast. <laughs> it but. is, actually. Um, and I, I loved his show. He makes it really relatable and digestible, I think, for all audiences. So do get my political news from there too. Yeah, and I think the important piece about that is because they're actually creating content for the platform in the native way, and this shouldn't be a novel <laughs> approach, but unfortunately in politics it still is. And so, um, but this is actually kind of you know refreshing to hear that the you guys are getting reached with the ads. You notice them. I am curious about something I O you said, and wonder if you guys have the same experience. If, if it's not something, if it's a candidate that you may already have made a decision about in your own head, do you just scroll through? Do you engage with it? And and do you feel like um, these ads actually break through uh, and kind of catch your attention? Or do they feel different and not as good overall than other advertisements you might be getting? So in terms of breaking through like the Trump ads, like I'm never going to interact with those. I'm seeing them on my feed again. Just keep scrolling in terms of like poor targeting. Yeah, waste exactly. of money, like, waste really? of dollars, Trump. <laughs> Uh, you know, Girl that makes me happy. That makes like, me happy. Follow like, Planned Parenthood and all of these other accounts that are just not going to be aligned with the Trump supporters. And that's OK. Um, but why me? But that's fine. So I've been in terms of other candidates. I think I will actually interact with them and they'll say, like, this is my stance on this issue. And I'll be like, all right, let's learn about that and scroll up um, or click on it. Um, I think in terms of actually persuading me one way or the other, I don't know if they're super effective in that. But in terms of education and educating voters on how different candidates or what they view on different things, I think they're, they can't be effective if you if they catch your eye enough. Yeah. And John, you seem like a, an avid consumer of political content, <laughs> so you might not be the, be the right person for me to ask this question to, but I'm curious, mm -hmm. do you feel like the most information that you get about politics and candidates comes from social media platforms or a combination of sources? I would say a combination of sources. You know, I do like to use Twitter because you're able to reach different areas of the news uh, environment that you may not get from just a single newsletter of sorts. But I really do like reading daily newsletters in the morning, uh, like from Axios and Politico to give me a rundown of what's going on. And then I use Twitter more or less to provide some color to that information of sorts and to see how people are interpreting um, that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I think also, too, coming from Twitter news, and I think you need to separate the news from the commentary. because so there's definitely a lot of commentary going on on Twitter, which may uh, not muddy the waters, but almost be disguising as the news. And you try and want to, you know, cut between the two of those. I mean, I saw a statistic in a poll that we were looking at um, back in December about candidate support among those who get their information from different news sources. Um, and it seems in that poll, I don't want to quote the numbers, but it seems like among those who get their news from Twitter, more so uh, tend to support Bernie Sanders, whereas those who get their news from like 
CNN or MSNBC tend to support Joe Biden. It's and so, so interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is fascinating how much that can, I'm not sure if they influence your views or if just that's a, uh, happen to be a collection of those who have those same views in the same spot. I don't know which one or it is. Or simply the amount of time you're hearing from a candidate, right? right? The frequency at which you're getting that Right, that but that's, touch. that's definitely something interesting that we came across. Um, but no, I mean, I like using Twitter for news. I think it's easy, it's intuitive, but I also like getting it from, you know, reading news and newsletters from Politico, Axios, and uh, the other big papers as well. Got it. So let's let's get to the heart of the matter, which is, um, this is, is this all of your first election voting? This is my second. Oh, this second is your second. Campaign. Yeah, so okay, I got to great. vote. And in I, you mentioned this is your first. John, this is my second. second. This is your second. Okay, still new. Still piece. pretty new. So, yeah, mm-hmm. really, really <laughs> glad that we're moving forward with a second election for the two that already voted. Um, I'm really, really curious because you guys are actually avid political consumers, I would say, and not necessarily the norm. Talk to me about your friends and how they are thinking about this election and voting, especially ones that are are deciding whether or not to vote for the first time or have decided how are they how are they making that decision are they looking for information or are they just kind of passive recipients of what's being targeted to them so i we i actually have this conversation with my friends all the time because i love politics and am a huge fan of getting involved in exercising your right to vote and all of that and so they always defer to me about like okay so when are we going to vote how do we do this my friend texted me yesterday and was like I'm getting my absentee ballot can you help me and I was like yes please um like do this and I think a lot of them aren't are they understand the importance and the need to vote but I think oftentimes politics feels so big and so out of not out of touch, but just like something out that's out of reach and kind of hard to understand. And Inaccessible. Right now exactly. Right. And it's I think right now it feels very polarizing for a lot of people. And that seems like an unappealing either sect. Doesn't going feel like to, a party you really right. want to go to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I think for a lot of them, it's easier just to turn away and just say, I'm not going to and like just not even touch it. Um, and so I think a lot of them are doing that. My response to that would be, you can't have an opinion if you're not, well, you shouldn't have an opinion if you're not going to take action to then change it. And so um, I would say to them, I say, get educated, figure out who you want to vote for. I don't care who you vote for, but like just make an educated decision and actually go to the polls and do this. Um, I don't know if that, if you guys have had similar experiences, but I know my friends feel like this is politics is kind of unappealing. And so they haven't done so thus far. Is that what you're hearing? Are there friends that are actually like adamant that they won't vote? Or, I don't have friends that are adamant that they won't vote, but definitely that digestible piece of it is really important. And so just feeling overwhelmed, kind of like, John, what you're saying, it's a fire hose. Um, and so when on Twitter I can hop on and understand it in 240 characters or, you know, a series of, you know, conversations or threads, or if I can get it in the daily skim and, okay, I kind of know what's going on, that's enough. Um, and then I do see people, you know, consuming ads passively and then deferring to their politically active friend and being like, okay, so what should I think about this or what should I think about that or did you hear about this or should I be aware of that? Um And so I think that it is something that we're struggling with just in terms of how does it stay relevant, especially because we're all on social media and we're all digital natives. We're consuming so much. We are consuming so many things. And so also this political this political aspect of it might not seem as interesting or it's new to us. And so there's a a bit of a learning curve. Um, And so trying to figure out how that learning curve fits into the space that we already exist in. Um, and what that looks like on social media or, you know, whether that is a newsletter or maybe I do like to sit and listen to the news while I cook dinner, um, which I'm a fan of because my parents did that. Um, but, you know, kind of figuring those things out. But I, I do think that it is 
a little bit more passive just because it's it's difficult and I think like Caitlin was saying in this polarizing campaign you're like what the hell is going on goodness you know so I think that's kind of I think that's what it is so and I think I'm hearing this in your answer already but I'm curious like is how important is it to you that a candidate and their campaign really gets social media and where you guys spend your time like do you judge are you not as interested or believe as much in a candidate if maybe their digital game sucks i think when it comes to something like that not a trick question guys (laughs) (laughs) i think with that there's a balance right because i think you a candidate who's appealing on social media is not someone who's absent but I think if it's someone who goes over the top, I think that might dissuade some other uh, people who are just trying to take in information passively um, or maybe who don't have a opinion about politics. You know, I think one of the uh, descriptors might be, oh, well, he's just trying too hard or they're just trying too hard, right, to try to get that vote. I think that might dissuade some of our generation. Um, but, you know, that's my opinion. on. I think there needs to be a happy medium between not doing enough and doing too much to appeal to our generation in a digital sphere. Yeah, and I think by, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but by too much, do you more mean uh, in an inauthentic way to who that candidate is, right? Like they should be on the platforms, but they shouldn't try to be better or work or AOC if they are Joe Biden, right? Right? I'd agree with that. And and that's what the biggest thing for me is with candidates using social media is like, just be yourself. Like we don't want to see or at least I don't want to see the polish, not polish, like polish is great, but too much of like preaching and too much policy is too much for me personally. And like, show me what your kids are doing. Like, show me what you're making for dinner. Like, like use social media to show the electorate what you're like, not behind closed doors, but just more one-on-one, more personally. And I think that's where social media can, social media can be a great use to candidates because you can kind of let down the, like, just be a little bit, more relatable, um, a little bit more personal and using that. And I think that's where it's effective. Yeah. And that's the point of social media at the end of the day, right, is to help us feel better connected. And so I think what people in our generation are looking for, especially when candidates use social media, is how do I feel connected to this person? You know, how can I relate to them? Um, how do they relate to me? And so I think that's what it is with that authenticity piece. Like if I saw Bernie on TikTok, that's weird. Um, but, you know, maybe, you know, just figuring out different ways to relay your brand um, in a relatable way, I think is the most important part. Yeah. So, um, young people or the youths, as they say, are talked about obsessively in, you know, political campaigns and organizations and all of these things as, you know, this, this black box audience of like, how do we get the young people to care and to vote? And, and I mentioned this at the top, but in 2018, more young people voted in the midterms than ever before since the, the voting age dropped to 18. And obviously, um, when young people vote, their voices are heard and they make a difference because there's so many young people. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, what do you think would help more people get engaged? Because I think everything you said earlier, Caitlin, is right, that it, it doesn't always feel accessible, whether or not they're reaching you where you're get your, getting your information, but it's hard and it's complicated. So I'm just curious. And also, I think younger people generally move away from the two parties in certain ways and, and care more about values. But but challenge me on that if that's not right. But how do you how do you sort of think about getting people engaged? Yeah, I think I think that's a great question. Um, and it's actually one that I struggle with in trying to get a lot of my friends involved in like, how do you get them to care um, I, if it's about either politics or just an issue? Um, and I don't think personally I've come up with a great answer so far. Um, I don't know if you guys have. But for me, it's like I think I've just tried to show them my passion and the reasons why I care about this and why I think it matters. And then hopefully that 
passion spreads and then people either want to create their own passion or then get involved in my passion. Um, and in terms of an outside um, in a candidate wanting to get the youth, as they say, <laughs> involved in their um, campaign, I don't know. I, I don't have a great answer. I don't know if you guys do. But from my experience, it's just been how you, how you can just, uh, excuse me, demonstrate what your passions are and then see if people will maybe tag along. I would say with that, you know, the key would be to create some sort of accessible environment for those who are maybe dissuaded from politics or turned off from the polarized nature of it to get involved. And I'm not sure how that could be created, but I think, Caitlin, you're, you know, hitting on something good there where it's like try to get them involved in your passion, you know, because we are obviously passionate about it and we enjoy it. So I think it's just spreading that to, you know, people amongst ours be like, listen, you know, this is something that you should be caring about because you this is how you have your own voice. You know, if you don't go out there and vote, then you don't have a say in what is going on. So why wouldn't you take that opportunity and go and get it? I think that, you know, a lot of ways might have to happen at among our generation. Of course, you know, the older generations can't help, but I think a lot of ways it needs to be self-driven to create this successful environment, you know, leading towards whatever the future may be. I, I think that's exactly right. And that is the thing that transcends technology and digital and whatever communication formats there are, is that talking to people one-on-one, uh, -on -one, however you do it, is is the most effective way to organize and get more people to turn out. So I have to end on this question. You can choose to answer this question one of two ways, but I have to ask it. Who are you most excited about voting for in the primary if you're voting? Or if you don't want to answer that, who do you think is going to win the Democratic primary? Caitlin. So I want to see a woman in the White House. Um, I, from Massachusetts, obviously have been surrounded by Warren throughout her political career. I'm going to refrain um, from making an endorsement or a claim either way, but I want to see a woman in the White House, whether that's Klobuchar or Warren. That is tough. So speaking amongst myself and solely on my own and not the team, I think that Sanders has the best shot right now to win the nomination. I agree. I can't vote my primary. I registered as an independent. So in Florida, I can't vote in the Democratic primary. Um, but in the general election, yeah, I think he has the best shot. I don't know. I just look at Trump and he's just such an Nut. Can I say that? Sorry. You can say whatever <laughs> you want on this podcast. So, I just I'm kind of interested to see how it'll play out, honestly, and what that fighting, for lack of a better term, will look like the competing, the debating. It should be debating. But will it be debating? We get to see. Um, but yeah, I think I think Bernie could give him a, a good fight. That's my that's my answer. My unsure answer. Great. I thought we were done, but I have to ask because you said it. You are an independent. Yeah, I actually am too. I'm registered as independent in Massachusetts. I am. Can you talk about why? Um, I think at the time when I registered to vote, I was just very overwhelmed and under-informed. And I was like, well, I can't pick one. I can always go back and change it. So I think that was really my main motivation. I'm definitely not a one-issue voter, um, but the values matter a lot to me. Um, and integrity has kind of been lost in the past four years. Um, and so especially with my mom being an immigration lawyer and just hearing narratives of that perspective and all of those things. Um, I think that's really, that's what led me to it was I wasn't seeing my values or seeing someone relate to me in that kind of way. And for me, so my parents are what they call recovering Republicans. And so <laughs> they like growing up with that background. Um, I think for me, the, the, Democratic Republican divide just felt really unappealing. And, I, and in Massachusetts, we can vote in either, um, primary and so i'm actually registered in virginia as an in, independent but still i can register or i can vote in the democratic um, primary and so for me i was like i'd rather just 
be able to pick who I want to vote for and go from there. So it felt kind of like a non-answer, um, but it just felt like the right path for me at the time. You heard it here, folks. And I don't have any evidence to back this up, but I do have a hunch that more young people will register as independents who vote than not. And it'll be really interesting to see. And the power you guys have is is certain in this election. So thank you guys so much for joining the pod. It was thank so great you. to talk to you. Thank you, thank so, you so much. We appreciate it. That's all we have for this week. If you want to take a deeper dive into the state of digital politics, and if you're not already a subscriber to our weekly newsletter, also called For What It's Worth, you can sign up at anotheracronym.org slash F-W-I-W.